you like conversation on a variety of topics? Feel like no one wants to talk about the things that interest you? Tired of only hearing the same political, sports, or catastrophe talk? Yeah, we feel that way too. Join two high-functioning geeks as they discuss just about anything under the sun. We can't tell you what we'll be talking about each week because we don't know where our brains will take us. It will be an interesting conversation, though, so hang on and join us. Here comes the Relentless Geekery. Brought to you by Mind Architecture. Building worlds for your mind. Morning, Alan. Good morning. I think I might have the same backdrop as last week. Sorry, but I'm <laughs> grasping for the last little bits of fall here. Yeah, I know. It, it gets really time-consuming to repaint the background every week. Russia, yeah, it's just... <laughs> it's funny. I go out looking for like Zoom backdrops occasionally and find a whole bunch of stuff, and then Zoom doesn't update. And it's one of the few apps that isn't great about making sure that they retain data your data between sessions and so they have a whole bunch of stuff that they offer to be installed but many's the time that my folder got overwritten so i need to like is there a way to do a separate folder that i'll have to figure it out because after you get things get canceled a couple of times you just stop doing it whereas i really want to have i don't know all the holiday stuff all the geek stuff all the right. things particular to me and then they don't last so what I, I i don't know maybe this is different i have a folder in my google drive called zoom that i put all my backgrounds and then within the settings i add a new one so i'm i'm sure it adds it i don't know if it reads it from that or puts it in its own new folder but i've never had anything i'll have to play with a little bit because i can't believe that they do that i can't right. believe companies would say, hey, we, we once again, we lost the proper office background. We're not going to do this. So there's got to be a way to do it that I haven't, it hasn't just come from loading it into the Zoom backgrounds folder within the Zoom app itself. And, and sometimes it's just, okay, This is, I got some other things I want to do, should do. Is, is this worth it? Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, it's funny. I, I love coding and there's any number of times that I've done like a quick macro in Excel and then you find out I, I just had a discussion with this. I did a whole bunch of stuff where, because I was Loksec for our local group, I handled like the birthdays and the anniversaries and that kind of stuff. And the data that I was getting from National or the hassle of continually having to do little tweaks, it got to where I'm just going to do this manually. I don't want to keep establishing a code base and then having to tweak the code base just to produce this. I can just put this into a spreadsheet, do a quick sort by a particular field and then grab that set out and move it over it just it was uh, probably about the same amount of time but it was much less hassle of having yeah. to go into coding mode to just put out a, a list of people by last name alphabetized you know what i mean so anyway yeah, i i found i've hit this point where there's some coding i like to do and enjoy and then there's some stuff for coding them like yeah i don't want to code this anymore i'm done i'm not doing it. projects are fun and, but there's certain functionality sometimes where it's just like this is so much hassle to, for what we're getting <laughs> that's right but what used to be an interesting challenge to i don't know i write good input cleanser people have to put things in you have to make sure that before it gets into the database it's all okay and i used to like love doing that like thinking of all the corner cases and stuff but then after you've done that like a hundred times there's no thrill the hundred and first it, it's just hassle and trying to learn enough about the language or the situation that you're in so you can remember oh i i don't have certain functions here that i can do a quick trim left or something like that and try to or get rid of 
apostrophes and miscellaneous things so that all the O'Hara's sort properly, all the McDonald's is either MC or MAC. I, after learning all those tricks, I get tired of having to apply those tricks for the hundredth time. And so I yeah. kind of don't anymore. <laughs> yeah. So we have a, a whole list of cool things. The top of my mind is after 50 years, the real Beatles have a brand new song. How crazy is that? <laughs> a while back, they had a, a similar one where they got old tapes that all the four Beatles, they had pieces of what they had done, and uh, like Free as a Bird, right? And they did a similar thing where it wasn't AI-based, but it was based on somebody who's really good in the studio putting together snippets of things that it was, if they all weren't in the studio doing it at the same time, at least it was all the original. I should say the best four Beatles. It wasn't beat best, of course. It was, and I like that. But even then, I was like, "Wow, we're really scraping. We're really scraping the bottom of the barrel to produce something." And the now and then thing, I like that. There's certain. There's so much love for the Beatles, and there's so much reverence for the contribution they made to songwriters and stuff like that. But really, one new song is. It's just not. I don't know. It seems to be overhyped, even though it's a really cool thing that they were able to apply AI to John Lennon's, if not voice, pieces of what he had sang on other places and include him in the recording. I, I think, <laughs> and I agree, I think it's way cool because you can't say it's not the Beatles. It, it is, and it's actual, and it's, the AI isn't creating the, the vocals or anything like that, that it just used it to clean it up. So that's right. message. That's what the AI is great at is helping us do these hard tasks and, and just do them quicker. The computer yeah. turn it, you know? <laughs> you know, honestly, that's such a great way to put it. Some of the way I've talked about like self-driving cars and stuff like that is I'm a pretty good driver. I really am continually doing, whoa, what they taught you way back when you were like 16 years old and driver's ed. You're continually checking your, your rear view mirror and your side mirrors and maintaining kind of situational awareness of what you're, what's going on and what's the worst thing that could happen ahead and plan for every other driver on the road being an idiot. Colleen is even better about this than I. She really, so. But having said that, I do that with whatever human limitations I have, check every couple seconds for each of these various different things. And, and never losing focus. Once in a while, we've talked about it. You hear a song on the radio, and then you're like, oh, how did I get here? I went into the thoughts I was having, the song I was listening to, and suddenly I'm in my driveway. And having a device that does that 100,000 times a minute and is continually checking. When I've been in a Tesla, and it, it has that little recreation of where cars are relative to your car, and you can see them moving in real time, it's so much better of being able to look at this screen than having to do the wheel around. Like, you know, everybody's gotten used to, you move your side mirror so that it gets the blind spot that even if you if you glance left I, you wouldn't see it i would it, argue saying everybody but i, I know what you're uh, saying <laughs> the, the the fact that i like not having to do it myself i like all the safety features that will slow my car down automatically if i really am approaching something too quickly or it'll throw a message up on the screen saying break stop i like that someone is always watching even with my inherent distractibility and not to be weird I'm pretty much trying to pay attention. How many times do you see people that obviously aren't? They're checking their phone. They're putting on their makeup. They're eating their lunch. It's it, They're paying attention to their kids. There's a distraction. Kids screaming in the car. So the fact that you can offload some of that, a little bit we talked about with coding things, I'm so happy to have a, a an engine that's like learning my taste and then can make recommendations to me. That's one of the things that I talked about at my talk at Halloween this the two weekends ago now. Like 
it isn't only that I've learned where to find the top 10, top 100 lists of various different things. There's recommendation engines out there within Netflix, within Amazon, that are continually saying, based on what you've already watched, you might also like this. And I'd say they're right 80% of the time. Yeah. They sure include me in on all kinds of cool stuff. And, so, and, and part you know, of that, people need, like people, need, <laughs> people need to realize part of that is not the algorithm is wrong, but when the movies are getting added, sometimes the the tags are not good descriptions. For example, yeah. my hor- Christmas horror, or no, just my Halloween scary horror movies, I can get my catalog program and say, just show me the horror movies in my list. It'll pull them all up. Keeps pulling up metro with eddie murphy and i'm like yeah this is a like a cop comedy it's yeah, not a horror. horror movie exactly yeah that- because people sometimes will put tags in and i want everybody to watch this so i'll use every single tag for every genre that doesn't work that's not a yeah. rom-com and you got you really got to did you ever do search engine optimization they, they had all the kinds of things where people would indeed put in the metadata every way in which a search engine would find not only from the title of your website, but all the ways in which you would present yourself to the world. And how much crap did exactly what you were talking about? They want to appeal to everyone. So the most tenuous connection, and a lot of times, absolutely the opposite. You know what I mean? You go to a athletic shoe store, and it has nothing to do with dairy or something like that. You know what I mean? But they have that in their search string, their search. I was like, did they just dump the dictionary in? They've done nobody any favors. Well, putting... because, and I've dealt with a couple of clients like this because they think if I get everybody to come to my site, then they'll love it because everybody could use my product. And authors do the same thing. Everybody should read my Your book explains to a 13-year-old girl the same way that it explains to a 79-year-old man and the same way it explains to somebody living in France as it does right. to somebody living in South America. Those are four completely separate groups so you're better off figuring out the one you want to reach because you actually do better in your messaging and then it expands and people don't yeah. think that way oh everybody will want my product no not everybody needs viagra so you don't market to everybody <laughs> <laughs> and this is funny there's all there was all kinds of backlash let's say 25 maybe 30 years ago about profiling you really can't have people in the airport stop because they look wrong if you will and yet, what is the entire science of demographic targeting, et cetera, based on? Yeah. And it, it's not based on your appearance. It's not like, hey, if, if you're bald, you'll like this book better. But it is, wow, what are all the ways in which I would characterize myself? I even offer funny, smart, curious, decent, big. That's like my little profile that I have in many uh, uh, social media sites. And so you'd think, oh, he probably will like humor books and he'll like... I guess curious covers a lot of ground. But Here's you know the new I mean? Cabela's catalog. It'll fit you perfect because you're a big guy. Because <laughs> I'm a big guy. See, exactly. So I I I think that there's something to be said for how to do that. You don't want to have somebody get offended because, I don't know, because I'm Jewish. Do you think that I like everything Jewish or everything even tenuously Jewish? Or, or you name the ethnic group or demographic group not all rich people like the same things nor poor people nor lithuanians nor we can start naming the groups that i might consider myself part of but i don't live a lithuanian life i'm not looking for straw ornaments except as a curiosity around christmas you know what i mean and and people will say things like that's my job it doesn't identify me it's not my identity and that's a great way of thinking about it yeah so it i know we we bring far field but that kind of thing of 
I, I, what I offer myself when I put certain key terms out there, or when even we've all taken the personality test where how do you define yourself? And I'd say, I don't know, my top five are like, yeah, that's a pretty good sketch of me. But if I had to expand it to 10 and 15 and 20, I'd add things that cover more ground. You know what I mean? I, and I think I could do that before I got redundant. You know what I mean? For instance, it's funny. I think I'm more um, brave than fearful. You know what I mean? But would I call myself like a heroic, brave guy? I'm not always the first guy to jump into danger. And yet brave isn't only that. It's whatever it is that says I've got some self-confidence. I'm willing to be involved in a tough situation and know that I'll keep my head. There's there's all kinds of things that, that associate with that. So sometimes taking one of those tests was like, hey, out of these 300 words, pick out the ones that best define you. It's actually fun to go through the list and say, Yes, no, kind of 70%. Yeah, I was just going to say that the way we think sometimes, I don't know if it defines me, it's 80% defining. So choosing those certain terms, but then you get, what you have to need to be able to do is add some adjective to the end of, or beginning of it. You get it more defined. But yeah, yeah. And, and, and like when they start to have overlap, I don't think I'm like I'm a, a cowardly guy, but I'm not a sensitive guy. I don't think I'm wussy, except about certain things. I cry when I hear or see certain things. And yet it's not like I'm ready to fall apart. You know what I mean? Right. It's, it's, and if anything, it's also there's a whole bunch of studies that say, though I just talked about, it's best if you're self-defining instead of that the market looks at you and tries to pick out what you are. Having said that, all kinds of things say that you do not signaling who you want to be, that it's aspirational instead of descriptive. So I'm brave. You know what I mean? You want to be like, if you're going to pick a spirit animal, nobody wants to be like a wombat. They want to be the lion. They want to be the bear. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. I take it back. Not no, nobody. Some people really do think, I like going to the library. I like things when they're calm. I like just what's my favorite night? Being at home with a bowl of popcorn in my cozy place. That's wombatty compared to always being out adventuring, always being the defender of the family. You know what I mean? Right. It has all the connotation of, yeah, I'm the defender of the family, and I'm a lazy bastard the other 90% of the time. I let right. all the ladies go out hunting for me while I just sit there currying my mane. So anyway. So and back, back to the I Beatles song, <laughs> since that's where we started. And yeah. uh, Did you enjoy the song? I did. I, I love the Beatles. I got all kinds of not only many of their original albums, but I love the greatest hits collections because they're like I got both the red and the blue greatest hits and they each have 20 or 30 songs on them. And they really have 50 or 60 great songs. It's not like greatest hits already has filler on it. If you're Pablo Cruz's greatest hits, they, they, don't, they didn't have that many spec, but the Beatles in their history and in seeing their growth as an artist and just what made it on the radio and how amazingly talented Lennon and McCartney particularly were as songwriters. I love them. A, yeah. a really good friend of mine, Tim Kane, has always loved them. And whenever I would talk about what's your favorite group? Oh, Emerson, Lake and Palmer and Genesis and yes, and Kansas and all my big bombastic bands. And he's nobody wrote a better song than the Beatles though. And so you're right. Who, who else could write yesterday? Who Such variety too. Yeah. Variety, many styles, being able to write a great song, like a perfect pithy three minute radio ditty. It's an amazing talent. We've seen a couple things like about the Brill Building and people who wrote show tunes and stuff like that. The Carol Kings of the world, the Paul Simons, Billy Joel, they're not the bombastic stuff that I like, but man, they just know how to wordsmith something so that it's perfectly evocative and so relatable by people. And, and, and the melody is so catchy that you hear it once and you have it forever. There's something really wonderful about that. And you mentioned... Beatles. I'm looking forward to maybe when they turn the AI and say, 
write me a song that evokes the Beatles because you don't have to have AI for that. Like Todd Rundgren did an album called Deface the Music, where he tried to write songs that could be mistaken for Beatles songs. Badfinger way back when was like, is this the Beatles in disguise? Are they like <laughs> doing this to sound like the Beatles, but they don't want to have to support it? So they're just, there's been groups that really sounded Beatlesque. Yeah. Cheap Trick had a bunch of Beatlesque songs. You know what I mean? So people really have that capability of capturing what made the Beatles so memorable and so pithy and perfect. And see, that's one aspect. A lot of people focus on that and are very negative towards it. I don't want 500 new sound like Beatles songs. I like the Beatles, yeah. but. I, I like focusing more on the gooder stuff that here was this song we probably never would have got that we got now. And it doesn't sound like some bad cassette recording. It sounds like a produced song, which Colin said, eh, it sounds like we recorded this in 2020 as opposed to 1966. You can hear a bit. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, okay, but he loved it. He thought the song was great. And I'm like, think of someone like the Grateful Dead. We're not getting a new Grateful Dead. Maybe we are. How many how many recordings are there out there oh, of Grateful Dead? Of, they were the first group that I know of that really, they used to have a bootlegger section. Yeah. They used to make sure that people had good placement for the sound right near the, the music board and stuff like that. Bootleggers roll those tapes. Yeah. And used to say that before he got so big that his music company said, you, you can't do that <laughs> anymore. Yeah. But there are, but Fish has always been a great bootlegging band. There's yeah. a whole bunch of places that were. Yeah. Which is interesting because the corporate said that, but honestly, look how big that Grateful Dead are and were and got that way by letting people record at the concert. It didn't hamper That's them. Right. And we're finding this a lot now. How many times do you have a good, oh my gosh, that movie looks so good. And then you start hearing about the executive saying, no, don't do this, don't do this and change it. And then you see the movie, it's like, that sucked. It's funny. The, the world um, has repeated ideas uh, depending on what environment you're in. So that thing about the, the Grateful Dead early on saying, we're not only about a record in a store, the way we're going to build our audience, our overall audience and our career is because we're going to let things go viral. We're, and long before that term was used about online memes and stuff like that, they knew about the network effect. They knew about that it isn't only scarcity of music that drives the price up. It's the ubiquity of it, that it's everywhere in the environment, if you will, and that people they don't get a bootleg thing and then don't buy the album. They love the group and they'll buy every album in addition to whatever they captured on tape because they want the group to, to make money, continue to make music and, and be around forever. Really, the Grateful Dead only had deaths affected as compared to they fell out of favor. You know what I mean? I, right. I, I think that there's all kinds of Grateful Dead spinoff bands that still, if they're not selling out stadiums anymore, they sure are still selling out uh, smaller places and clubs and stuff like that. And maybe that's any music group's trajectory that in their heyday, they sold out stadiums and then they got to calm down and go to the 2000 seaters in the, in the later years of yeah. their career, stuff like that. I would be all for hearing more things like this and you again, using the technology for good. <laughs> exactly. I just, it's, it's very funny. I think I'm, I went to Prague stock, one of my progressive rock festivals, this one in New Jersey, and they had a silent auction and I won the 10 CD Pink Floyd set. It was live captures of all, uh, songs throughout their career and very cool in terms of a lot of times they were working on songs. And so the, the version that I have on my CD is not the version that actually ended up on actual official release version and stuff. So that's always like yeah. cool to see things in progress. But also what I thought was 
I used to have such a prejudice against bootlegs because I really didn't like that the artist wasn't getting paid for what they did. I didn't know enough about the music industry and already know that the game was rigged against them <laughs> making you know, money off of their albums and stuff like that. But I sure didn't want it to go to, I don't know, a scammer, a guy who snuck a recording right. device in when it was legal. And having said that, now it's that isn't the way the music business is. They're, the only way to make music is to do live tours and sell merch and all kinds of things besides put out CDs, if you will, and, and put out just CDs are uh, fading. LPs have actually sold more than CDs the last couple of years, which kind of boggles wow. my mind. People love that analog-ish sound. And also, of course, it's downloads now. And now you have the world of Apple Music or Spotify or whatever. People not only listen to things online, but they do download things from Amazon Music. So there's so many ways in which it's getting delivered now that I like my prejudice against bootlegs is foolish. It so much doesn't matter, given that there's 12 different ways for artists to get paid. And you hope that nowadays I have a prejudice against Spotify, because from what I understand, you got to get a million hits to make a penny. Hits yeah. is not the right term place. And so someone, again, found a way to be the rapacious labels, the rent taker in between an artist and his fans. And so another thing I do is I get all kinds of Facebook things where it's like, hey, we'll send you my new CD for five bucks. Just cover the cost of shipping. And I have supported probably a dozen different artists now. And not only in my favorite kinds of music, if you will, but I'd like to hear some bluegrass. I'd like to hear a nice little singer songwriter. And I just want to support. I did a whole bunch of stuff for a long time with King Crimson, Marillion, various different bands that said we will not work within the studio system. We're just not fucking giving them our masters. Right. Steve I was like that. There's people that are famous for having, no matter what, Tom Petty was not going to give away his music. He was going to retain. And so I support those people because I like, I hate to say the underdog, but because so many people give in, there's all kinds of people just in order to get any kind of recognition. They had to not sell out, not make different music, but John Fogarty didn't have rights to his own songs. For decades, because Saul Zaints was such a crafty, and I, when I say crafty, a terribly evil businessman. You know what I mean? Bill talks about that with the books, how he had the one series, The Star Carrier, and he looked at it as a trilogy and wrote the first book expecting two more. And it went out while he was working and almost done with book two. And the company said, hey, book one did not sell well, so... We're going to stop at book two. We're not going to do a book three. And he's not. So halfway through book two, he had to combine book two and three for the last half. And he didn't like it. Wasn't as good. But he was in. They he was not in control of his book or the series or anything. So book two went out, and suddenly they shot off and did really well. And the company said, "All right, go ahead, do book three. And now he did nine books in the series. So <laughs> just that. Who honestly? Sometimes statistics really matter. You have to make some business decisions, and yet. If we made a deal that we're going to do a three book series and then they change the deal, it, it always is seemingly at the expense of the artist. Wow. How many <laughs> Harlan Allison, there, there's people that have talked all their careers about how they they didn't want to be in the business. They wanted to be a writer. And yet they had to learn how to do certain things in self-defense because of how ready various different publishers and editors and whatever else were willing to not only work with them, but abuse them in order mm -hmm. to get books out and stuff like that. So I've never, I don't know, now that Amazon has self-publishing and various other places do, I hope the Divi is better. It used to be, I don't know, 90-10 or something terrible, hoping it's at least 50-50. But the fact that it's 90-10 towards the artist is still a galling thing in this world of... So 
I've read a couple articles in Wired, maybe you've read similar things, where niche stuff really can sell well and people make good living six-figure, uh, like where they do things. I'm going to write like medieval settings where they happen to also have some injection of science from the future, whether like maybe the Highlander books or something like that. And uh, boy, the world of um, naughty books apparently is very clear with I'm going to write dinosaur porn. Wait, what? <laughs> but apparently there are some people that would enough that would buy it, that you can put out a book, sell 10,000 copies, but get the most of the money, not 10%, right. but 90% and repeat. And there's people that have found niches in all kinds of very specific. This is going to be the continuing adventures of Scooby-Doo, but I had to change all the names because I didn't want to get sued, but it's just like that. There are certain genres that, you can find a following of 10,000 people, 100,000 people, and that's enough to have a career. Instead oh, yeah. of having to go through all the, like you were saying, don't write something for everyone. In this case, it's pretty micro-targeted, but in a, a country of 350 million people, in a world of 8 billion people, it, it's amazing. Oh, you yeah. Something that, that well, I, know, I, I don't know anything about Australia, but I like reading books written in Australia because they get sometimes such a great sense of place. You know what I mean? I, I, I have an Australian sci-fi collection. Um, there you go. See, so. <laughs> um, so speaking of the AI thing and the self-publishing thing, Google Play, I've got my books up there. Many people do, but they also allow you to do AI audiobooks. So I just put my book up there and the AI read it and created the audio. And listening to it. to hire a human reader. They really, exactly. And, and the, the voice simulation is reasonable to you it actually does like well, the election see, and the it, there's a lot of discussion on that uh, a lot of people say you know what it's really okay for non-fiction but with fiction you miss that inflection you miss the pronunciations sometimes now you can go in and fix things and do your phon phonemes to get it to sound right and all that right. which is great so i did it as an experiment with my book to see and a bunch of other authors were like, Oh, I wouldn't do that. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, hold on. I write middle grade. So these kids have had a tablet in their hand since day one. And they talked to Alexa and Siri since they were three. So right. to it's them nature to have the, that yes. voice things back and forth is not a big change. It's exactly. Actually, okay. and, and so I'm, maybe it's perfect for them, but they're also saying maybe you want Samuel Jackson to read your book and he licenses his voice and they just apply it because it's AI generated. So it sounds like Samuel Jackson. Spooked by that. Like I, I want, if I'm going to have John Cleese, Samuel Jackson, people with very recognizable voices read the book. I, I want the real McCoy and I want them to get just like real compensation for the fact that they have established well, the James Earl Jones voice and that they should get the benefit of that. So but it's the same as the bootleg thing. Samuel Jackson can never read a, a thousand books for audio the books. in right. the next 10 years. He, he just can't. But if he licenses his voice, I'd never be able to afford to pay Samuel Jackson because it's four hours of work for every hour of reading. So okay. it'd be right. way out. But if I could get his voice and just pay X amount, he gets some of that. Now there's instead of five books he gets to do in the next 10 years, now he's done 3,000 books and he gets. So right. there's that. And that's the key is that if he licensed it to a certain AI based company and that it really is with his approval as opposed yes. to. Hey, like James Earl like Jones Michael did it for Darth Vader. Okay. See, I didn't know that. All yeah. Right. 
he he said he's retiring and he licensed back to Lucasfilm, Disney, whatever, that you can continue to use my voice. Everything you've already got recorded, use it for AI, make more Darth Vader using my voice, go for it. And mm-hmm. he's getting older. He doesn't want to keep reading it, but people want his voice. So now you've got that. Right. What a fascinating area of like contract law to be working in like uh, how much and and in what venues that like now it's not going to be in movies it'll be on cds it'll be all of it in games all the various different ways in which that could be used and do you get correct compensation for hey that's james Earl jones because that really one of those things you could put under the title or in a little bubble on the cover of something that will sell more copies and so it's like that that's really a sales thing for them that's just a That is, you mentioned it, and it's so tricky with things right now because most of the like actors and stuff for anything back through the decades basically signed the Ray all rights to that character. And so now the companies are saying, we can just use AI and use your face, use your voice, and we'll create 3,000 more things. We don't have to compensate you at all because it's not in the contract. So right. there's a lot and of I've seen videos right where now. they had bogey talking and stuff like that. And I'm pretty sure the estate of Humphrey Bogart did not say, sure, go ahead. But they did indeed sign things away when they said into perpetuity, yeah. my so, image, my voice, et cetera. Yeah. And the problem is you would say they should compensate them. And the studios and the uh, big corporations are like, okay, you can say that, but we're not going to do it. So screw y'all. And we're keeping the money. That's just what's happening. That's right. Yeah, honestly, Shades of Comic Book says there was all comic book has almost always been work for hire for decades, and then people started to really do their own work, and they wanted to make sure that even if it was published by a major publisher, they got just compensation for. I'm the one that created this version of the Legion right. of Supergirls or whatever else it might be. I've also read when you sign something that says, "Hey, you can do whatever you want with me forever." Already, there's been people like Nicholas Cage that said whatever I did to give them material to work with for something that uses him in an AI way, it's not at all what I would have done as a human being. It's not me. It's unfair. It's an abuse of my image and my whatever fame, whatever notoriety I've developed. So there's got to be something that says you can't have, I don't know, something abused if someone has a, like Jimmy Stewart is well known as being the good guy in many films. And if all of a sudden, not by his choice, he's the heavy or that he's in a sex scene that he wouldn't have been in or something like that. As if they've not been doing that forever, the deep fakes that just put somebody's head on top of somebody else's body. So that interesting image purity, if you will, that people have to actively maintain it. And I can't imagine what it would be like to be, hey, here's a talk you did at the last gathering, Al. What do you mean? I wasn't at that gathering. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) virtual. (laughs) That they made virtual, and that all of a sudden, I'm everywhere. I, I really want to maintain my own body integrity and that leads us to a whole bit different discussion about body integrity and yeah. one here in ohio and so it, isn't that yeah. it's funny you mentioned nick cage because his appearance as superman in the flash movie which was only test footage uh right. he did not approve the use of that but he didn't have a choice he didn't like it he didn't want to be in it and all that but they, they did it anyway that's yeah, I, I hoped that he would be tickled by it because this is the guy that named his son kal-el yeah he really always had a wonderful love of superman he's one of the guys that when he had some movie money he went ahead and bought action number one which got stolen (laughs) sadly i would have hoped that that they would have found a way to work with him and make him happy instead of appropriating him because that's yeah it i guess if you're talking virtual multiverse universes 
There is one in which Nicolas Cage plays Superman. Sorry, Nick. The real you isn't the only one that's out there. <laughs> we, we used a different that. one. He gave us our approval. Exactly that. We got a virtual contract over here from Universe 617 and stuff like that. Right. So. <laughs> Speaking of, you mentioned the voting and stuff. So do you think marijuana is going to be legal after today? It's, I think it will. And you think? honestly, I think what an amazing thing that would have been the absolute hot button, hotly debated issue 20 years ago. And now because abortion is issue one, the right of a woman to choose and, and maintain her medical integrity and so forth. Now, issue two, which is about legalizing recreational, not medicinal. It's just, oh, yeah, do that, too. It, it's a weird thing. And honestly, I think it's just right by that meaning there's never been any science behind the prejudice against marijuana in the face of all about alcohol, all about other drugs, like it being considered often like, I'm trying to, I don't know enough about drugs, a title X drug compared to a title Y drug where it was like more felony than misdemeanor. And it's not had all ever since reefer madness. It's never had the characteristics that were ascribed to it in, in terms of how much harm it does or what people on marijuana. You know, Scooby oh, no, and Shaggy it, solved how many mysteries. They are a menace to society that it was actually such a mellow version of other altering, mind altering things. And it just has been the alcohol lobby. It's been the virtue crusaders that had a convenient lightning bolt to continually point at and we just don't like hippies we just don't like them and, and so whatever's associated with hippies and it be, this is a sad thing i'm pretty sure is true it became so much a way of flooding the jails with victimless crimes but <laughs> take all those people that we don't like in society oh no the hippies oh no the young urban blacks whatever else it might be there's all kinds of books with all kinds of proof that say so much of the war on drugs was a war on the minorities that we don't like, we being Nixon and other crazies in the Justice Department and State Department. And so this is uh, finally the pendulum swinging back and saying, it's never been that harmful. It's no harmer than anything if we do it the right way, where it's not suddenly open. Uh, um, we're we're going to have, there'll be testing to make sure that it's the safe version, that it's not too strong, that it's um, check for purity and assay so that you're not getting floor sweepings and dangerous stuff put in there. And there'll be some taxation of it so that we'll right. have another income source. One of the things the government is happy to do is we'll have just a little bit of ice and make sure that we tax the bejesus out of it. So if you're going to have your alcohol and your gambling and your marijuana, don't worry, that'll supply money for schools, money for roads, whatever right. we then divert right. it to. You know? <laughs> I, like you mentioned the alcohol, and I've said this several times. I personally am not that interested. I don't care. But from what I, my viewpoint, what I see is at one point alcohol was prohibited and viewed just as poorly as marijuana is right now. That oh my god, why would and but we had we legalized it and now everyone's pretty okay with it. Mar if marijuana was legalized in the forties. It would be that way now. People wouldn't care. And as my buddy pointed out, he said, you know what? I would much rather have somebody smoking marijuana with a gun than somebody drinking alcohol with a gun. That kind of thing, honestly. And, or, or driving. And, and just, I've not done anything. You know what I mean? I like my mind the way that it is, and I've never felt the need to pursue ecstasy and nirvana or to pursue numbness. And there's various different things that do. I don't need a little bit of like liquid courage because I'm talky and not shameless, but I don't have that feel of interacting with another human being. So I'm blessed in those ways of not needing that. But having said that, 
I'm really happy with I've made it this far. And I think, what I, did we mention this before on the show? I've done one goo ball. I didn't know what I, what it was. I was at a fish concert speaking of fish. Oh, uh. <laughs> and, and I, I like, is that like a brownie? I'll have that. And then someone later told me that I was probably laced with marijuana, but it, wouldn't they have to have a sign that said that? No, of course not. I had no, and honestly, it wasn't like then I was <laughs> reeling and it wasn't reefer madness where it's, Oh my God, I got to play the piano. It, I didn't feel any effects, maybe because I'm a big guy, maybe because it wasn't that potent in the first place. I just, I never wanted to not be I agree. with who I am. And especially, I think I've told you this, thank God this is true. The only times that I can think of where it's been not me, I've had a couple operations where they give you like a two-stage an- anesthetic. And after the first one, I kept talking, even though I don't have any memory of those kinds of things. And my wife said, you were so chatty and so hilarious, and, and you still love me, so that was good to hear, that when the id is the only thing talking, not the ego or the superego governor, that it was still like, I thought she was beautiful, and I thought, hey, this is interesting, whatever's going on is always interesting. And just, <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> if there's a real me, I really am the one that I want to have my public face look like, which is like interested in everything and chatty and humorous and right. who came out instead of when people drink a lot in vino veritas and then oh my god there's they're so aggressive and maybe even violent they're so sad and that they that's what they mask over to just perform in the world so if part of being self-actualizing is to like have your public persona match your private i guess i'm close to that because I have my quiet moments. Not all the world knows all my secrets, but I don't have a total chameleon thing going right. on. Where public me is very different than the usual me. <laughs> so once when I was younger, I was with my cousin and we were in his bedroom playing Atari and his mom and dad and uncle came in and said, all right, you guys leave. We're going to play Atari. And we're like, but we're playing. No, you guys leave. And they turned off the lights and they were playing Atari. And we go out and we're like, okay, I guess we'll watch a show. And we're like, oh, hey, there's some brownies. Can we have some brownies? They're like, no. And they come running out and grab the brownies. You can't have any of these. And they run back in the bedroom. And we're like, what the hell? So we watched a movie and stuff. Years later, we're talking What's about going this. On? And, and we're like, oh, my God, those were weed brownies. And they wanted to play the Atari because on the old CRTs, it would leave streaks of light. So they were yes. just moving things around to watch the streaks of light while they were high. <laughs> and it was so funny because we were like in our 30s or something when we were just talking. We're like, And it, you could see it click in both our heads. Oh, my God. It was just It's funny. Things are flowing one to the other. Hope you don't mind. I just recently posted because I had this happen. So I've been visiting with my mom. I've been not her primary caregiver. That really is the place that we have her in. But I visit her three times a week and I always spend an hour and we talk and I show her pictures and here's what's going on in the family and all that kind of stuff. And just the other day, multiple times now, I've had a, a conversation with her that was like as if she's my counselor. You know what I mean? I know I can say things. Like talking, I, not to sound bad, but talking to your dog. A little bit like say, that. You know? The confessor, though, because some of the things I've been talking about are pretty heavy. And instead of the dog just doing this. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> she's listening. Of, she, it's she's like. listening, but doesn't have like the startlement and the, oh, my God, that's incredible. I didn't know that. Oh, my God, that's distressing. I didn't know that. And so what an interesting thing to be like. I guess you need that. Only one other time in my life have I gone to a counselor after my marriage ended. I really didn't want to have another failure. I wanted to like work on me, find out what's working and not working in me, find out what that relationship was about. And it was just healthy to have someone to talk, to listen to you, to ask questions of you that don't have immediate judgment and um, either advice or condemnation. They just were trying to help you understand what, right. what works in you. 
You know what I mean? And so I, it's, I'm not getting the feedback part of it, but I walk out of there feeling pretty good that it's, I'm like a little bit cleansed for having said things out loud that I don't usually say. And never, I'm not doing it in the public place. It's usually when she and I are like taking a little walk outside because I wheel her around and we see the grounds and stuff. But it's just, I know that I think that she likes the sound of my voice, likes that I, we're having an interaction, that I'm paying attention to her, and that while I'm saying these things, I'm not all morose. I'm actually laughing about it. who knows why I do that, that kind of thing. And I think that it's giving both of us something good that she knows she's being loved and paid attention to. And I'm having this little, wow, I really have someone that won't, I don't know, and it's funny to be clear, None of this is stuff that, like, I hide from Colleen. She and I talk about virtually everything. And when I said, oh, I have secrets before, I really don't. I really try to not have. And having said that, I'm sure that I have things that I'm sensitive about and that I, uh, so I'm not sure, even this isn't a yes, no, all the way, one way or the other. But the fact that I talk to her about things that I don't talk about with a lot of other people, because it wouldn't be like watching their facial expression and wondering if they're going to give me laughter or horror or whatever. Right. Counselors, a large part of what they say helps and that they try and do is get you to talk and say that stuff. And a lot of times there's not a lot more needed that just like they say, get it off your chest. You'll feel better. So that's great because it sounds way better than me talking to my mother because she frustrates me. So <laughs> it doesn't happen very often. <laughs> often when when I we used to have a thing called Penny University where we had our our discussion group. And I would often try to differentiate between so what do you think about that and how do you feel about that? Because they can be very different in various different people. I'm not with maybe a little bit of the Myers Briggs things, are what part of you is the sensitive versus are you a thinker or a judger? Are do you what do you how do you handle the world? How do you and I think that I am more empathic, more emotional as I've gotten older. I cry more easily, like embarrassingly so sometimes, but that I, I'm pretty sure that I'm not like a sociopath because I really do feel and, and about people, about animals, about music, about whatever else it might be. But I also know that I'm not just a feeling thing where I have knee-jerk reactions to things, that I have that my pretty good intellect to be able to summon and apply to what am I working on? Why do I feel that way? And how should I think that way? And maybe how should is should automatically enters into it because that's part of my thing is I want to, in thinking, I think of what's the way to make the world better? Not just I'm this thing in the world and we just like little billiard balls colliding into each other. There's a lot of prescriptive instead of descriptive things going on. And, and so I, I don't know that I have a main point, except it's healthy to me to be able to do that, to step back from what you're going through and say, I'm not those emotions. I have those emotions, but they will pass. And in fact, if I wanted to, I really could make them go away. You know what I mean? If, Like I said, if I'm calm in a crisis, it's that no matter how sad you might be or how scared you might be, do that later. Right now, make sure that you're saving yourself and your loved ones, that you're handling the, the ever-present danger and then getting to safety and all those kinds of things. And that's right. that ability to separate between, I think it's important. And some part of how people can't do that is where neuroses and psychoses come from, is that they don't have the ability to like wear the different hat or be different aspects of themselves as necessary in different situations. Yeah. I, I think the uh, virtual AI owl is probably the psychopath. Me, me and my best and worst might be much more. <laughs> and so we've talked about, we have certain behaviors that are on the spectrum. You know what I mean? What Some things that give me pleasure about it being orderly or being whatever. But how I've always looked at that is, I don't think that I'm uh, 
deeply on the spectrum in terms of the obsessive part of it. If anything is obsessive compulsive type things, I might have a preference as to how my desk is set out, but it really isn't if it's not just the way that I want it, that I'm like really nervous and then I have to fix that immediately and everything else to wait. Because I've seen people that are like that, that they really, if you rearrange something in their environment, they put it back the way that it has to be. Or about all kinds of other things. They have to eat food in a certain order. They have to, they can't stand certain sounds. So Luckily, I seem to be pretty high coping, high functioning with I'm aware of my preferences, but they're not commands. You know what I mean? And I, and I hope that's the, that way for you, too, that even if you are really are compelled to do certain things, you really have the ability to say, but that's not the most important thing right now. You know what I mean? It, it really might be that it gives me a little bit of security to think that or feel that way. But it's not the only thing. Right. Sometimes <laughs> there there are times when something will just hit me and it's just, oh my God, this is going to bug me forever until I go look at it, fix it, do it. And it it's the most and the stupid thing sometimes. It's like not necessary. It, looking things up a lot is where it gets me. It's, oh, that would be a great idea to do for the, the programming or the book or just, oh, I want to look at this up because I don't want to forget it. And then I'll spend an hour looking it up. And what okay. I've discovered a lot of times that helps me, sometimes it's not even relevant and necessary. I will never even use the information. So I found that if I have my to-do list and put it on my to-do list with no date, I'm like, okay, it's there for when I need it or want it and done. That is usually enough of a balm for me too, that I get a thing of, I really want this to be, I want it to work on it, I want to have it, whatever but I don't have to immediately go to the store and get it. I put it on my list. And then I try to, the other executive function part of me says, take care of those four things next time that you're out running errands. And so you don't have to do it right now, but you've put it into the position of you won't forget about it and you won't feel uneasy because you didn't handle it in any way. So maybe list making is one of those good coping behaviors. Yeah, I've discovered that. List making and prioritization. And it's like, when I look at what I really have to get done, just out of having read so many Covey and other books, is put the big rocks in first. Eat the frog first. Don't keep taking only the little things, the low-hanging fruit. Once in a while, it's so important to just do the hard thing, and then everything else falls into place. Colleen and I laugh about this all the time. We have all kinds of, that'll do for now. And then now turns into like months. And how did I not the next day just go and say, okay, go move that over and put it in the right, and do, you know, like once in a while, we let a temporary solution become a near permanent thing because we do move on from what we've what we needed to solve to make it so it wasn't right. really bothering us but the ideal is sometimes not pursued because now we've moved on to something else we're human we have i think everybody has those things right that the way that you i don't know bookshelves don't have to be a to z all the time it's okay to let a little stack of current reading go up and then when it gets the right height that it's like ah i don't like that then you go and put A with A and B with B and you right. do the thing. So, you know what so I mean? You sort it out. <laughs> my ex-wife, and this probably can explain why she might be my ex, is our bookshelves with fiction books. We ended up having to keep our books separate yeah. because she would organize them by color. And I'm like, how the hell am I ever supposed to? But worse yet. She came into my office with all my coding and programming books and organized them by color and height. I was like, stop, go away. Don't (laughs) touch it. I thought that was a joke that people did that. No. No, People really do, because it's about the aesthetic. It's about the walking in and seeing my bookshelves are pretty. Instead of, I referenced that. I need to go right to it when I need to do it. 
and she, she had an OCD <laughs> thing with crayons. She did like the color at times as a relaxing thing, yeah. but she was very hoarder with crayons. She would constantly buy new crayons and have, and then she would organize the colors. So it looked like the rainbow spectrum. And I'll just say when she uh, had left, she still had some stuff here. And uh, so we were getting it all to pack up and she specifically said, and you better make sure all my crayons are fine in the order. And my cousin went, oh, you mean these? <laughs> and literally nope. stepped all over them and threw them back in the box. Oh, so no. she was probably not happy with that. <laughs> What's funny is, I think that this is related uh, at the facility that my mom is, both this and the previous one. They had specific things that they had the other residents, the inmates, do because it satisfied them to fold laundry or they would honestly scatter things on the ground so they could run over one of those little like cleaner up or not a vacuum, but yeah. And, and it gave them such satisfaction to clean up in that way, organize in that way. Sometimes those, what others would call like a mundane task, they could really be satisfying and calming to people that have that need to organize, to um, put things in a way that is satisfying to them. And and it, so I wouldn't have believed it until I saw it, that scattering paper, it wasn't a cruel thing to her. It was, that was really good for her. So yeah. interesting. So, all right. I think we've been close to an hour. I got things to get okay. to. So I take That's it uh, with all the tests. You're healthy. I, I, thank you. My eat, I, I, as, as I mentioned, while I was running a little bit late, my initial blood pressure getting in was a little bit high, but they retook it and I was back to normal. I always have happy that for as big a guy as I am, I'm really like at 120 over 80. I really don't have that. And they took an EKG and I'm still rock solid, rock and roll rhythm. One of the things you fear about atrial fibrillation and all that kind of stuff, my ablation and my cardio version really reset me and I've not reverted. And I've been in any number of little discussion groups where people talk about theirs lasted six months, a year, two years. And they went back to it. And thank God, I, I'm not. I'm really, that seems to have took. And so about heart health and about not having all the things that go with atrial fibrillation where you can get numbness. And so I don't have any of that. I went up a little bit on some of my diabetes things. My standing glucose now and my A1C overall slightly elevated. And I have been making steady progress over the last couple of years in getting that under control and getting it down. And so the fact that it ticked up at all, still not above seven, my A1C is still I think 6.6, but the fact that I had gotten it continually lower, it's like, it's not just because I had Halloween candy, because the A1C is the long-term one. After like, I guess I'm eating, he's still eating too many carbs, too many, I'm, I'm not, my ratio of protein, fat, carb is wrong for I'm not doing right by my body. I need to work on that, but at least it wasn't, you bloomed to 10 and what in the world did you do? I just have continued reattention, if you will. You know what I mean? Didn't have to change any of my, I, I take my atorvastatin and my metformin and my Jardians. None of those had to change or the dosage. And so I, I know we overall for 64, I'm doing okay. Good. I, Good. I have whatever the things are, the indignities of aging. Now, nowadays, once in a while, when I change position too quickly, I'm aware that I'm just for a fraction of a second out of balance. That my body has to assert itself and whatever those trying to think what they're called, you know, the gyroscopes. Cells are, yeah, 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 my little my <laughs> internal gyroscopes have to get back into nominal position and, and never having felt that before. The first time that I had that was like, I'm not drunk, I don't have a head cold where it might affect my inner ear. What the hell is going on? And apparently that's something that 
either out of getting older or out of diabetes plus other things older, it yeah. can have that effect. It's like, no, I'm not a fall risk. I'm not reeling around the room. I'm not bumping into furniture. But I'm aware of it ain't like it always has been. And yeah. that's disconcerting. You know what I mean? You don't want that little indignity. Wow, I have to pee more often and I don't catch my balance as quickly. What the hell? This Asian <laughs> thing, man. <laughs> right. I had I, I, my blood work recent and my thyroid stuff was up, the TSH and T4. They were both up. And the doctor said, that's weird because normally one will be up and the other will go down. They like, okay. go, yeah, uh, they but he said both were them. up. So I'm getting it rechecked just to see in a couple of weeks. Okay. Let, let's go a month and see. So I don't know what up, up with yeah. that, but. My, my mom is on something for that. She had it, hers was low. And apparently they thought that was part of why she wasn't able to warm up. She, I think a lot of older people get cold, the extremities and so forth, but it really was whatever her endocrinal response was not as it should be. And so they gave her something that is simulated that either pituitary or thyroid, almost certainly it's thyroid. thyroid. And that, that has seems to have evened her out. You know what yeah. I mean? And, nice. and it's funny. Everything about my mom is now like a little indicator of I'm her son. Am I going to have that when I'm 90? I got to you know, keep track of all these things. So I'm ready to go. How about that TSH? Can we do something? about? <laughs> my mother in her thirties, when I played little league, she was a scorekeeper. We have pictures of her in July sitting there doing scorekeeping with a jacket and a blanket on. And it's like, it is 95 degrees out here. And she's, yeah, I'm chilly. The wind's cold. And it's just, oh, my gosh. So That's funny. So, oh, I just, I, I don't know. It's not, it's wonderful to walk out of a doctor's office and not have, okay, more tests. What's going on? I'm okay. I, I'm really, the fact that I am doing the walking and eating relatively healthy and so much like Colleen and I getting along and being low stress in that regard. All of that is just so much. Yeah. Keep, keep going, Al. Make it to 100. You know what I mean? Right, yeah, there's right. so much cool stuff still to see and do. Stick Agreed. around. So, <laughs> All right, man. Uh, thanks we'll very much you for your flexibility today. Okay. No problem. Take care. All right. This has been the Relentless Geekery Podcast. If you enjoy our conversation, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app and go give us a review. Give us some likes. It would help a lot. Check out our website, RelentlessGeekery.com, where we have links to our Facebook page, Join the Conversation, and go check out our YouTube page, where we have the video of this and other episodes. You have been listening to the Relentless Geekery Podcast. Come back next week and join Alan and Stephen's conversation on Geek Topics of the Week.